You are Locked On Cubs, your daily Chicago Cubs podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Sure as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. And maybe sooner than we think. This is going to be a tough play. What's going on, Cubs fans? You are listening to Locked On Cubs, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. I am your host, Sean Sears, and we are talking about your 2020 NL Central champ, Chicago Cubs. They won the division. They've clinched the postseason spot. They are the third seed in this postseason. We'll be facing off with the Miami Marlins. The first time the Marlins have been in the postseason since they knocked the Cubs out in 2003 and won the World Series, which I'm sure we probably won't hear anything about at all throughout this whole series. But um, we bring on Ryan Davis to kind of take a look at this postseason series, what we could see for the rotation for both the Cubs and the Marlins, as we got some inkling on an idea of what Game 1 starters will look like. Um, we'll talk about that as well as just kind of recap this weekend a little bit, talk about some of the highlights. We're not going to go over the games because um, they, they didn't really matter after the 7th inning on Saturday, but we got a Braylon Marquez uh, sighting here on Sunday. It wasn't the greatest outing, but a positive sign of things to come for the Cubs. They did leave the door open for Marquez to be a part of the postseason roster. We'll talk about how he fits in and more, and then we'll touch on Chris Bryant's historic, now historic quotes uh, from this weekend after he told the media he didn't give a shit about what people think <laughs> about him and his performance this season and so on. So uh, we talk about Chris Bryan, how he's had kind of a rough go at it, obviously recently, but particularly with fans since he's been a Chicago Cub. So we kind of diagnosed that a little bit, but all that and more. And then we finish up the show with Ryan and I talking a little bit of Bears. So you can, if you don't want to hear us talk about Bears, uh, I, I make it very clear when that Bears talk starts. It kind of kicks in around 30 minute mark here in the show, but. Uh, we dive into a little bit of Bears talk here, as we'll we'll do. And Ryan and I are able to get together on Monday episodes. We'll we'll do a little Bears talk here for you, but just a little freebie for you guys here. But with that, I'm gonna kick it over to our interview with Ryan Davis. But before we do that, I do have to read a quick little promo here from Built Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. If you go to builtbar.com, use the promo code Locked On, get yourself ten dollars off your first order. Built bars are so good; they really do taste like candy bars, and they are good for you. They're great protein bars, so check them out. Uh, builtbar.com promo code Locked On. But with that, here is our conversation with Ryan Davis. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and they're improved now and more delicious than ever with six new flavors to add to their already 18 amazing flavors being caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry baraka, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. Some delicious flavors to go along with their coconut almond, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, mint brownie is actually my favorite, double chocolate, orange, toffee, coconut, peanut butter brownie, 
all those flavors. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, easy, soft to chew. Some of the best tasting bars I've had. But on top of it, Built Bar is healthy. It's great for health conscious people like myself who are trying to lose weight or you know work out and still try and keep eating something good for you, but that is low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber. It's great for keto diets. Um, it's a ton of just great options you can have while you're working out, while you're trying to eat a little bit healthier. Those are things Built Bar is built for. But I think what one of my favorites is the cookies and cream. It's got 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, just four grams of sugar and four grams of net carb. I'm not very uh, a super health conscious person myself. I like cookies and cream. I like stuff that tastes good, but uh, I'm definitely trying to look for stuff to snack on throughout the day. Built Bar's been great because obviously, first off, they sent me some bars immediately when they first started partnering with Locked On, and they're delicious. But it's nice to have something that I can eat on and chew throughout the day that isn't like you know goldfish, something bad for me, pop sugar, all this stuff that I'm probably you know constantly distracted with my refrigerator being directly behind me at my desk in my apartment. Having Built Bar here has helped me honestly lose a little bit of weight while I've been in quarantine, and it's honestly encouraged me to try and work out a little bit more. But right now, Built Bar has reset their promo code and is now offering a free cooler with purchase. So while supplies last, there's only about a week or so left in this, so obviously place your order soon, but go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your next order. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com, the best tasting protein bar you will ever have. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, Cubs fans, joining me today is Ryan Davis as we uh, recap kind of uh, an interesting weekend. But the Cubs, for those who did not know yet, have clinched the NL Central. They will be facing the Marlins in the wild card round starting, I believe, Wednesday is when they play, right, Ryan? Yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a Wednesday start here. But, uh, Ryan, what's going on, man? Weird weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a weird weekend uh, for a lot of reasons. But, uh, yeah, it was mostly good for the Cubs. They took two out of three from the White Sox. They found their offense a little bit again. Even in the game they lost, they scored, I think, five runs. So, yeah, it, it could be worse. Chris Bryant came back, hit two home runs in those final two games. Even after we kind of wrote him off for the entire season, uh, he still came back and, and played well. David Bodie came back to the lineup and hit a home run. So, yeah, there's, there's some reasons for optimism moving forward with the Cubs, dare I say it. Yeah, uh, that was it, exactly an encouraging series against a, a playoff team in the White Sox. Obviously, I think that Sunday game was probably like closer to a scrimmage than anything for the, for the Cubs and Sox. But um, yeah, yeah, still like obviously some positives to take away from that. Clearly Chris Bryant hitting the ball. Well, was definitely a a positive. Um, Braylon Marquez making his debut Sunday was really cool. Um, Obviously Billy Hamilton stealing home and then hitting a, hitting a home run, like not really super important, but just cool to see. There was a lot of positives to take away from that final game. Um, even though the Cubs almost lost it, you know, 10 to eight, weirdly towards the end with Marquez kind of falling apart a little bit, but, um, 
this Marlins series, obviously a team the Cubs are familiar with. Um, I didn't realize this until seeing this a couple days ago, but the Marlins haven't been in the postseason since they won the World Series in 2003. Uh, so this is the first yeah. time they were here. And uh, the last team they faced in a postseason series and against the National League was the Cubs. Um, obviously some bad memories. I'm sure we'll get plenty of Bartman clips and stupid things throughout this series. Um, but this Marlins team, better than I think people expected, Still, though, it feels like this should be a Cubs win. I don't know. What are your uh, What are your thoughts on this series, kind of generally, before we dive into anything specific, Ryan? Yeah, it, kind of what you said. Uh, it's a throwback to 2003, which is interesting. It'd be cool if the Marlins would break out the old old uniforms. Yeah, Cubs, get those Cubs pinstripes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the Cubs are still wearing the same thing that they used to wear. But I just that that 2003 NLCS. When I imagine it, I imagine those Marlins in the in the black uniforms with the the kind of tealish lettering like uh, it's different than what they're wearing now and um i really love i really like those jerseys but anyway um yeah all the things you said it's it's a weird throwback it's uh if the cubs beat the marlins in this series it'll be the first time the marlins have lost a playoff series in their in their history uh, which oh, i find yeah. <laughs> interesting and they're what 27 years old uh, and they've only made the playoffs twice they won the world series both times so um yeah they're probably a little bit better than people probably expected them to be but uh, i think a lot of that is not not what makes them better but a lot of what makes them such a surprise is all the covid problems that they had early in the season right so, i honestly had almost forgotten about that too because um, it just feels like even though it's a 60 game season and it wasn't that long ago it feels like it was forever ago with how much has happened since yeah i mean if you just look at their their roster looks like they use 37 pitchers this year Whoa. in a 60 <laughs> in a 60 game season so like yeah the, um yeah it, it just was not good for them this year but they went 31 and 29 they're making the playoffs they have some really good young talent that we'll talk about it's mostly on the pitching end uh they've kind of pieced together a bullpen that's performed fairly well um and yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be an easy first round for the Cubs, but I still I agree with you. I think it's one that they have a pretty clear uh, advantage, and and they should be the winner. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, this 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 more this team doesn't have a ton of talent, especially on the offensive side. Pitching has got potential and looks pretty good, uh, but I mean. I don't, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there isn't an easy matchup in this postseason, I don't think. And all these teams obviously grinded through the same season the Cubs have. But um, it'll be interesting because, like, usually in a regular season, you would, you know, the Cubs would face the Marlins a couple times at least, at least three series. And they obviously haven't seen them all year. So it'll kind of like – it's almost like when you run into a team in the World Series and it's like, oh, yeah, you guys are a thing. We don't really see you ever. But, yeah, you guys are here. So it'll be kind of a weird sort of uh, <laughs> like meet and greet meeting a little bit. But – um, obviously, the Cubs have the advantage with the home field, um, I guess, playing a Wrigley Field for at least two games, hopefully only two games, maybe three, depending on how the series goes. That's a big advantage. But I also think pitching-wise, the advantage is going towards the Cubs a little bit, even though the Marlins do have some impressive arms. But we were talking about before the show, it sounded like the Cubs are leaning towards starting Kyle Hendricks in game one with Darvish following in game two. And I know we kind of talked about that a little bit last week, but after what we've seen these last few weeks, it's hard to say going with either one of them would have been a bad decision, right? <laughs> For game one. Right. At least. Yeah. And I, I, we talked about this, as you said, but I think the logic here is um, 
you're either starting Darvish in game one on only four days rest, which is normal rest, and then Hendricks on, I think, seven or eight days rest in game two, or you subtract a day of rest away from Hendricks. He still gets plenty. Uh, you start him in game one. You start Darvish in game two with that extra day. And on top of it, Kyle Hendricks is just like beast mode, godlike at Wrigley Field. Uh, on top of just being a good pitcher in general. I mean, he, I think he threw the most innings uh, of anyone in, in the National League this year. Um, just constantly going out and giving you like, you know, seven, two thirds, two earned runs, you know, eight innings, one earned run. Like the, that's, that's a typical Kyle Hendricks game. So it makes sense. And I really love the kind of mental advantage of the potential NL Cy Young winner being game two, which is an elimination game game regardless because it's a best of three so you're either down one nothing putting darvish out there to stop you from being eliminated or you get the major mental advantage of you put the marlins down one nothing with kyle Hendricks on the mound and then they have to try and stave off elimination against you darvish so i think it just gives the cubs like this incredible advantage to do it that way and um, it's not official that they will but it sounds like it they probably will and it makes sense i think yeah, I, I think, and honestly, after we talked about it a little bit last week, I was thinking towards leaning that direction too, just because like, like exactly what you said, game two is an elimination game. You want to probably have your best guy there and you feel really comfortable with Kyle Hendricks starting that game anyways for game one. So, um, yeah. but taking a look on the other side, I know you were talking a little bit about the Marlins before we got started. It sounds like the starter for game one should be nothing official yet, but it sounds like it's rumored to be Sandy Alcantara. Um, obviously a former top prospect of the Cardinals was included in that Marcelo Zuna deal has pitched really well. Um, he looks like probably their best arm, right? I mean, yeah, you could debate whether it's him or uh, Sixto Sanchez is the best arm. Sanchez has been beat up a little bit in his last couple games. I think if you just wanted to say like pure stuff, I think Sanchez is maybe one of the best in the game. Right. But yeah, I think uh, looks like Sandy Alcantara started on the 25th. So he'll be on normal rest to pitch on the 30th. So that, that, that makes sense. Um, he's been really good for them. He's got a 3.00 ERA. He only started seven games, of course, because COVID. But um, he's been, ever, going back to last year, really, uh, probably one of their best pitchers. So um, I, I've actually seen this guy play. I saw him in the minors and did a story on him um, for Baseball Prospectus back in 2016. Uh, I think he was with um, – I think it was 2016. He was in low A uh, mm. with the Peoria Chiefs. And he just, I remember watching that game. He started, he went into the seventh inning and he was just killing whatever team it was. And I remember noting uh, that on his 100th pitch of the game as a 20 year old in, in low A, uh, he hit 97. Cool. So like, <laughs> whoa, this, this guy's got an arm. I mean, he, he's, he's smart. He has an arm. The, the uh, the questions at the time were kind of similar to Albert Alzali in that is he going to just is it, the durability issues is he going to end up being a high leverage reliever not a starting pitcher so um, Alcantara is kind of the mirror in my opinion of uh, Alzali uh, in that way both throw very hard both you know good secondary pitches but you know question on whether long term they're going to be starters uh, and I think. Alcantara is showing that he can do it at this point. So that's to watch out for in game one. This is a 
a guy that I think can sneak up on you and have a pretty dominant game if he wants to. Yeah, he he definitely can. Um, you could really, honestly, you could say that for for three of the Marlins starters being Alcantara, Sanchez has got nasty stuff, and Pablo Lopez has been pretty good too as well this year. Um, he doesn't necessarily have the strikeout stuff. I would necessarily say that those guys do, but he does get a lot of strikeouts. Um, so all three of those guys, talented guys, and they're definitely <laughs> – they fit some of the profiles that we've seen the Cubs struggle against pitcher wise, like guys that can miss bats can really cause nightmares for the Cubs. But then we've also seen the Cubs smash some guys that they, you know, should probably struggle against because of that stuff. So it really, it's, we'll be able to tell probably from the first couple of bats, how the night's going to go. Cause that's how it just feels yeah. with most Cubs games. But yeah, this is a really talented team. And on, on top of that, the starters pretty good, but the, or the, the bullpen started out rough, kind of like the Cubs, but both, Marlins and the Cubs have put together a pretty solid bullpen, but the Marlins have found a ton of success with uh, Brandon Kinsler, Yimmy Garcia coming in and, and relieving games. I think he's got a 0.60 ERA. Uh, guys I've never heard of, like James Hoyt, Richard Beer, guys that are like 33 years old and figuring it out. This <laughs> this team shouldn't be doing the things they're doing, but they are. And Brandon Kinsler, as their closer, 35 years old, was not something I expected to see on a postseason team. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, they they really pieced it together. That's the right way to say it. And in general, like their pitching staff, I know that you know guys like uh, Trevor Rogers, even though he didn't have a good year, looks like he struck out a lot of batters. Pablo Lopez, like you said, strikes out a decent amount. So does James Hoyt. But for the most part, this Marlins staff doesn't really strike anybody out. They had 451 strikeouts as a staff in all 60 games, uh, and that ranked 14th in the National League. So they give up contact and it's especially high with their bullpen. Uh, Brandon Kinsler only strikes out 5.2 batters per nine. Um, he's given up over one home, one over. Wow. Easy for me to say <laughs> over one home run per nine innings. Uh, so uh, the numbers, as far as ERA have been really good on a lot of these guys, but they do give up contact for the most part. Uh, so that's something to watch for, but yeah, you're right. Like some of the names of the guys that have been some of their more, regularly used bullpen guys brandon kinsler brad boxberger james hoyt nick vincent so like you know maybe jose urania goes to the bullpen for the for the uh the series and maybe you know a couple of these other guys who are starters are going to be more used out of the bullpen i don't know um how they're going to lean on that but uh yeah it's just this marlins team is one of those like you could probably rightly call them scrappy (laughs) Yeah. in the way in the way that they've won games because they really have you know Sanchez is great Lopez had a good season Alcantara is probably their best pitcher right now but um outside of that they don't have a ton and they've no. made it work and uh for just just uh to note here real quick Jose Arrhenia I think got hit by a line drive yesterday and fractured his forearm so Ooh, I, I, I did ju- I did not see that yeah I think it was ju- it was just against the Yankees yesterday so I think he or maybe it was two days ago I'm not sure but it, it sounds like I'm pretty sure he's not going to be on the postseason roster I, I think yeah. they've made an announcement about it I'm not sure yet but I mean a fractured forearm uh that doesn't bode yeah. well for a dude who throws baseballs for a living um yeah that tells <laughs> tells me I'm wrong he will not be <laughs> <in the Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know, man. Never say never, but you know. Um, but yeah, uh, this this Marlins team, uh, some good pitchers, 
not necessarily anyone you're worried about, but like you said, ton of contact. There, there's potential here for the Cubs to be able to score runs. They're going to have to manufacture runs. I don't know if they'll necessarily be able to score home runs like they did before against teams, and that's how they've kind of scored all season. But offensively for the Marlins, I'm not really worried about anyone in this lineup. Like Starling Marte's on this team, and he's probably their, one of their most, more distinguished hitters, I guess you could say. But he's never been good in the postseason for the Pirates. Granted, I think that's maybe three, four series, a couple of those wild card games. Uh, <laughs> I think three years in a row for the Pirates. Um, but, I mean, like, Jesus Aguilar is on this team. He's 30 years old. I think he's got eight home runs, but he's uh, not necessarily having a huge season. I think a 121 Brandy runs creation, okay. Uh, Miguel Rojas, I think, leads his team in war. This isn't necessarily a team of bats that scare you, but there are some young players on this team that I know you were kind of telling me about before we got started. Um, who are some names we should maybe be circling for this Marlins team? Well, yeah, you kind of you hit on some of them. That's kind of like a major throwback to like, wow, if you had put this team, this offense together like five years ago, <laughs> yeah. it's probably pretty good. Like with Aguilar and Corey Dickerson and Starling Marte. Matthew yeah, Dickerson's Joyce. on this team. Francisco Cervelli was on this team before he got hurt as well, too. Right. Like, John- yeah, Jonathan VR is on this team. Yeah, he was. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, a lot of guys like thirty plus or around thirty that you know just aren't that good anymore. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, another guy, another former Cardinals player, uh, Magnarius Sierra. Uh, he his numbers didn't end up looking great for the year, and he only had 53 pay, plate appearances. But I assume he'll be on the postseason roster. He plays great outfield defense. He's very fast. They may utilize him as a pinch runner. I'm not sure if he's going to start uh, or not. I know that he he was going much better uh, as recent as like a week ago, but it has not hit real well but uh that's a guy to watch he like i said great outfield defense he's fast he can steal bases um he can really be a headache for you and so that that's one person to watch and that was another guy that i saw in peoria when he was with the cardinals uh back when he was about 20 years old and he told me at the time that he had been with the cardinals in spring training that year and yadier molina had told him that his outfield defense was already mlb all-star worthy um so if that tells you anything. Um, so yeah, that that's somebody just to keep an eye on somebody who can be pesky. I, I we talked about this a little bit beforehand. It, fi- I find it funny, um, at least from a Cubs per- perspective that the Cardinals traded a couple prospects to the Marlins for Marcelo Zuna and didn't get Christian Yelich. They got Ozuna who had two pretty mediocre seasons in St. Louis. Now Sandy Alcantara is going to be the Marlins game one starter, most likely uh and ozuna's having a borderline mvp season (laughs) with the braves (laughs) and not only that but i think he took less money to play for the braves than he could have taken with the cardinals so like it's kind of a a major ouch (laughs) for the (laughs) for the cardinals this year watching all that kind of go on around them yeah no that has that has to be a bummer especially because i i think they they are I think they had the least amount of home runs out of anyone in baseball this year. They obviously did not have much power outside of, uh, I think it was Paul Goldschmidt. And then I think their next highest OPS was from Brad Miller, um, which is, I mean, he had a good season, but like who, who expects Brad Miller to be your cleanup hitter in most games. But yeah, weird, yeah. <laughs> weird Cardinals team, very weird season, but either way, I guess right. plus for the Cubs, but flipping back here to the Marlins a little bit. Um, some of the guys I, I wanted to, circle before we kind of jump to the next topic here there's two names um first one of them is jazz <clears throat> excuse me jazz chisel 
He's the number four prospect for the Marlins. He's a pretty good shortstop. I think he was included in um, a trade with Arizona at some point. Uh, I don't think it was a recent one, though. I think it was – I don't know if it was for Marte. I think it was one before that. I forget what that deal was. But Yeah, I got it right in front of me. It's uh, for pitcher Zach Gallen. Yes, that's right, Zach Allen, yeah, who actually pitched really well for the um, (laughs) Diamondbacks this year. But uh, Jazz Chisholm, a talented shortstop, a guy that he's probably never going to hit with a ton of pop, but has a good on-base skill, I guess. He hasn't really shown it in the majors so far. I think he's just got a 242 on base. He's batting 161, and I think 62 plate appearances, yeah. Um, So – not, not not a ton shown so far, but he's a guy that's very athletic, could really make a single into a double, double into triple, that type of player, um, but just really good with the glove too. So he's a guy I would watch. And then the other guy I wanted to point out, I don't even know if he's on the roster anymore, but Daniel Castano, if you look at his picture on a baseball reference, he's like in the top 10 of war. It looks like young John Lackey. It's like if John Lackey got a haircut. <laughs> John Lackey did not come here for a haircut. Um, yeah, no, when I looked at the top 10 uh, in war on uh, baseball reference, I immediately was drawn to the exact picture without having to hover over <laughs> it to see who it was. I was like, yeah, that's, that's who you're talking about. There's another guy that I think probably will be in the bullpen for the Marlins, I would think. I would um, think so too, but yeah. I, but that's, that's just based on my assumptions, based on his numbers and – um, he's been really good uh, for them this year. I'm just kind of pulling up his number. Okay, so he pitched yesterday. So he's mm-hmm. definitely not going to be starting. Um, he threw 96 pitches yesterday. So, um, yeah, he probably wouldn't even make an appearance until, um, I guess, maybe game two out of the bullpen. Maybe. Yeah. Kind of the same thing the Cubs with uh, Adbert Alzali. I kind of was like, I felt like they should have pulled him maybe an inning earlier just to give him a chance at being, you know, more helpful in the bullpen. Looks like if they are going to use him on the on the playoff roster in the wild card round, it probably wouldn't be available until game two. Yeah, that'd be my so, guess too. Yeah, yeah same did. same deal with Castano. Yeah, but yeah, I just thought he's he's a good pitcher. Actually, he's he's had a good season. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. I think he's got like a three point six. Caper nine, but um, yeah, it looked like John Lackey. That was my big takeaway from that. But yeah, this Marlins, <laughs> this Marlins team feels like they're like a an okay surrounding cast team waiting for one of their big prospects to come up. But that hasn't quite happened yet. Everyone thought it'd be Lewis Brinson, and he's kind of floundered a little bit. And they really haven't had anyone else come up here that's really a top prospect yet, really outside of some of the pitchers. So yeah, it hasn't quite happened yet. One of the one other guy that I'll mention, um, he reminds me of kind of a right-handed Chris Coglin, is John Birdie. John Birdie, I knew you were going to say John Birdie when you said Chris Coglin. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't hit for a high average, but he walks a ton. Yeah. Um. So like he um had a two fifty eight average this year, but a three eighty eight on base. So obviously he's, um, you know got that skill and i assume i haven't really watched many marlins games but i assume that he bats near the top of the lineup he's a second baseman also can play the outfield or shortstop i'm pretty sure he played primarily second base this year Um, but as i'm pulling it up he also played center field he started uh seven games in center seven games in right two games at third base two games at shortstop so yeah uh, really uh you know good little player who doesn't you know hit much in, in the way of power um, he can steal some bases. He's fast. 
um, gets on base. So like that, that's a guy to worry about a little bit. It's, it seems like that's the kind of guy that the Cubs always seem to struggle with. Yeah. Uh, are the guys who are just pesky and get on base and steal bases. So um, if you can keep him off base, I think the Cubs can have a lot of success. Yeah, you definitely don't want to see guys with 354 Babips uh, <laughs> coming up against the Cubs. They always seem to find their way to get on base against them. Um, but I wanted to talk about Brilliant Marquez. Obviously, he made his debut on Sunday. The Cubs made a big deal about it. Um, I made an announcement beforehand that Marquez was getting called up. They were going to give him an inning at some point in this game. He throws in the eighth inning. It's not so great. Um, he couldn't really locate. It was probably a factor of some nerves, more than likely. Um, but, man, did – did it feel like the Cubs brought him up here just to make everyone shut up? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, cynically, yes, that's how it feels. Um, I think, you know, nerves were a huge factor, I'm sure, yeah. uh, in not being able to command his pitches. And maybe he wasn't quite ready. Um, he needed to be added to the 40-man roster anyway in the offseason. Right. So adding an extra couple of days of service time isn't going to be, like, the biggest deal for him. Um, especially because even after adding him to the 40 man, I would expect that he'll be in the minors to start next year at the very least. I would, I would assume at this point he's going to double a, uh, so I was fine with everything around it. We've been calling for it all year. We, we just wanted to see him. Right. Uh, if, if I think they did anything wrong with it, I think it probably made more sense to call him up a couple days earlier and see if you could get him out there two times, maybe three times just to let him work through those nerves and not end up, you know, okay, so you got your two thirds of an inning. Congratulations on your 67.50 ERA. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like that's going know, on I the mean, mantle. Yeah. I feel bad for him. I pulled up his ba baseball reference page and I don't think I've ever seen this, uh, a big league baseball reference page where the dudes wearing minor league stuff in his picture. Um, and not only that, but he's wearing Myrtle beach clothing. Yeah. Uh, in his picture on baseball reference for his major league page that's that's got to be insane so yeah um yeah that's uh, uh i i feel bad for him that it worked out the way it did but i don't think they were wrong to call him up and at least give him a look give him a chance uh, right. at this at this stage in his development it makes sense Right, and it was the the one game this year that that truly did not matter. The Cubs had already clinched. I'm sure they were planning on if they'd clinched earlier, I could have seen them bringing Marquez up earlier. Um, but I, I agree to some extent. Like letting him up here. I mean, like you know, this Pirates series. Like there were a couple games where the Cubs. I mean, even that that Saturday game against the White Sox, he got out of hand pretty quickly after Brian hit that grand slam and. And the White Sox stormed back and scored all those runs. Like, you could have thrown Marquez in there. It didn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, I guess you don't know that until the seventh inning of that game. But still, I don't know. I They probably could have handled that aspect of it. But, yeah, ultimately, let's see what the guy could do. And we saw the stuff was there. He just couldn't quite command it quite yet. And, you know, still yeah, pretty anything, fun to watch. If anything, the takeaway should be that um, – once he figures out how to command those pitches better, especially his fastball, he seemed to have, as time went on, he developed pretty good command of that, that, that slider. Ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it looked good. Uh, but I, I think it was really just the fastball command. Once he develops that a little bit better, this guy's going to be unstoppable. Yeah. I mean, he struck out Jose Abreu and he was down in that count to start. So, I mean, that was, that was impressive. I mean, that's an MVP mm -hmm. candidate. I don't know if he wins, but I mean, AL MVP yeah. candidate, you struck out. It's a pretty, 
Nice. I think yeah. JD said it was a nice notch to put in your belt as a, as a big leaguer. So yeah, right. some po- yeah. definite positives to take away from that. Right. Yeah. Braylon Marquez, regardless of anything, he made it to the big leagues. He got his cup of coffee, regardless of how it, you know, it all came down. Uh, so he's going to have that. He's going to have his strikeout ball of Jose Abreu that will be with him forever, regardless of what the rest of his career holds. So yeah. I, I think, th- I think big things for this guy, whether he's you know, a top of the rotation starter or, you know, if he ends up in the bullpen long-term, I'm, I'm not sure what's going to happen with him, but I think either way, he's, he's going to be a guy that you'll see, you'll be seeing a lot of in the coming years. Definitely. Um, do you think there's any shot he makes this postseason roster or is actually think, like playing on the postseason roster? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think I so had, either. I had hope for it um, going into yesterday. I felt like if he goes out there, commands his fastball and throws a, you know, 13 pitch, one, two, three inning with two strikeouts. Uh, I, I felt like there was going to be a major push to put him on the postseason roster. But I think after that performance, I think it's pretty clear he's either not ready or the nerves were just too much of a factor. Yeah, I, that's about how I felt too. I, if he'd come out and had a, had a showing like Garrett Crochet did um, <laughs> a couple of games ago against the Cubs, um, I'd have been like, yeah, okay, let's sign this guy up. Get Dan Winkler out of here. Um, but... <laughs> Um, I wanted to talk about this too, obviously. We got probably, if not, one of the best Chris Bryant quotes, probably like top two, top three Chris Bryant quotes of all time. Um, on Saturday after he hits a grand slam, he comes back, he he had two hits, he drove in, I think, five runs that game. Um, he hits a home run, obviously, on Sunday, but he says this before that, obviously getting asked about criticism. In a quote, he said back to this, uh, I think it was, I think it was Patrick Mooney that actually asked him the question, but they were asking him how he's been dealing with the criticism. He said, I don't give a shit. I really don't. <laughs> I'm kind of over it. I feel like sometimes I go out there and I go four for four and it's not good enough for some people. So I don't give a shit. How about that? Yeah. Chris <laughs> Bryant, that. America's sweetheart, swore <laughs> twice <laughs> directly into the Zoom camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh man i love that uh we were talking about this before we started it just feels like other than maybe javier baez uh chris bryant has gotten the most undue criticism over the course of his cubs career 100 uh, percent, yeah and, and it's not like we said it's not just you know since that injury in 2018 since it's been you know it was in 2017 when he wasn't you know exactly as great as he was in 2016 it was <laughs> You know, uh, when he first got called up, when he struck out, whatever it was, four times in that first game and didn't hit a home run for a month, everyone was calling for his head. So, like, it's been a constant thing in his career. He's been nothing but great for the Cubs. The injuries, I get it. They've been a problem. But this guy was an MVP. He basically carried you to a World Series. You know, not, not that the rest of the team didn't have their part in that, but you know, he had a great season in a year where you won the world series. He fielded that, that last out. Um, just, I can't remember what it was, but I know he didn't win the world series MVP because Zobris got it, but I feel like Bryant had just an insane slash line in the, in the world series. So he he did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a guy that he's the, he's, you know, without him, you don't come close. So Cubs fans, he's, he's exactly right. The people who are on Twitter, who are just being, you know, nonsense Twitter people. Uh, he's, he's, he has every right to feel the way he does about that. I yeah. 
I, I agree. And uh, honestly, I, I hope it means Chris Bryant goes on a tear, destroys the Marlins, destroys whoever they face then. They ride it all the way to the World Series. But I, you know, I said that at the beginning of the season too when Chris Bryant was mad about other things and uh, that didn't happen. So um, <laughs> uh, quickly before we do uh, kind of a, a quick prediction on the series and wrap up here, um, Trevor Bauer just tweeted about the MLB bubble. And he's kind of calling him out. Reportedly, I guess families can't stay with the players at hotels. It's supposed to be a bubble. This is a quote from Bauer. Yet random members of the community can stay here, ride the same elevators, share the same lobby. Some bubble this is. I guess players' families should just call the hotel and book a room. (laughs) <laughs> oh boy yep uh leave it to major league baseball to, to, to be talking about a bubble for months and still not get it right <laughs> oh that man is, that is impressively bad yeah I, I also saw bauer was uh questioning why the cardinals aren't playing today <laughs> uh because i guess if they lost both those games the reds would leap them in the standings really that's yeah. so, and we, you called this from like, <laughs> like the second time we talked about the Cardinals having to sit out. Like they're gonna find a way to, to, to sneak in to pass a team they probably shouldn't. We thought it would be the Cubs, but apparently it's the Reds. But yeah, I don't get that. I don't get why they're not making them play those games. Yeah, oh, they said that it, basically if it it won't impact the, you know, eight teams that make the playoffs. Period. Uh, they weren't going to make them do it. So basically it was only if the Cardinals had a shot at the division or if it would impact who actually makes the postseason. But mm. they weren't going to make them play those two games if it just had to do for, with postseason just seeding. seeding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember hearing that now. That's true. But yeah. But Bauer made, you know, he asked the question. He's like, honest question. I'm not trolling. Why the hell are the Cardinals playing? And like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. It does. Especially if that meant, I, I don't get why, like why have seeding if you're not going to, put prefaces on that i don't whatever um <laughs> but i wanted to before we wrap up this show i wanted to kind of get your feel on the series what are you expecting to happen do you do you think the cubs should take two out of three here are you expecting them to win the first two games what's your feel on this series after watching absolutely no marlins games give me your take <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that's good um I, I think the safe answer would say two out of three but i really do like you know, Kyle Hendricks is probably my favorite pitcher in the game. So uh, him pitching in the postseason at Wrigley Field typically goes really well. Uh, right. So I would imagine that if the bats can give you even three runs, I, I think that's a game one victory. And then Darvish in game two. Um, I'm not particularly scared of Pablo Lopez. Uh, and for some reason, and the, I don't have stats to back this up. I only have, you know, my experiences to speak from, but I feel like the Cubs handle velocity so much better than guys who throw like 90, you know? So like Sixto Sanchez, despite the fact that he is, he has great stuff. um, That doesn't really terrify me all that much either. And, and again, he's been hit hard a little bit in his last two, two starts. So if you get to a third game uh, and he's starting it, it, that doesn't really bother me either. So um, I feel like the Cubs have major advantages in this series. And if, if they lose it, you know, that, that kind of stuff happens, but I, I think they should win. Yeah. That uh, that's how I'm feeling too. I honestly, I, I think they'll win the first two games of this series. Um, this Marlins team is a lot better than I think probably the rest of the media is going to give them credit for because it's the Marlins. Um, but 
yeah, I, uh, I, I think this is, this is about as good of a matchup as you could have hoped for out of all these other yeah. teams. I mean, like if you look at the rest of the, like, it would have been nice to face the Giants, I guess, but um, I'd much rather play the Marlins than Milwaukee, um, just because I, I've seen too many times the Cubs go and lose one nothing, two nothing to this Marlins or the the Brewer team. So, yeah, yeah. I, I'm honestly, I think they'll win the first two games. That's gonna, that's where I'm gonna land that's, on this. That's a bold statement. I, I think I'm gonna agree with you on that, and I'm looking forward to. I really hope they win the first game because I want to troll all of Cubs Twitter and tweet something to the effect of. Okay, so the the Cubs have two games at Wrigley Field to beat the Marlins once to send them home. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) No. (laughs) Don't do that. Um, I'll just log off forever. Yeah. I mean, that's the ultimate mic drop, but... Well, that will do it here for the Cubs conversation portion of this podcast. Um, I think Ryan and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Bears for a second because I'm sure like you and I, I'm sure we're doing this like many other people on Sunday. We're flipping between the Cubs-Sox game and the Bears game once it got started. And uh, <laughs> uh, the Bears game was pretty interesting. Um, I don't know how much you watched the game, Ryan. I'm assuming you, you paid attention for a good portion of it, right? Yeah, I I was one of those. I watched the first quarter, the second quarter, and then most of the fourth quarter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like switched back and forth for a little while. And then I was like, okay, well, the Cubs in a meaningless game uh, with Alzali on the mound and then Marquez coming out of the bullpen at some point are infinitely more interesting than the Bears being down like yeah. 20, 26 to 10 in the fourth. <laughs> but um, <laughs> man, they really... Uh, they really found a way it was quite interesting um i guess nick Foles is your starter going forward yeah i guess so i um man he in, he like he didn't look necessarily fantastic and i'm i'm sure the falcons defense make him look a lot better than he probably is but i don't know man it just felt like even just mitch complete like mitch has a, such a hard time like throwing to receivers like on the run getting yards after the catch i feel like a lot of mitch's throws are just like him whipping a ball really hard on a receiver on a comeback route or like right at a guy and it was nice to see nick Foles like lead a guy or like throw into space and let him try and make a play and i don't know a couple really good throws on third down that fourth down touchdown like I was I was impressed. I don't know what I expect going forward now. Um, I mean, I guess Foles is your starter. I don't think the Bears are much different than who they were coming into this game, though, honestly, besides like maybe a quarterback that might make better decisions. Yeah, I mean, I guess if I want to be optimistic about it, I think Foles was clearly better than Trubisky without practicing as the the starting quarterback right like he yeah. didn't practice with those guys so going forward if he's practicing with those guys I feel like okay maybe it, just give me like you don't have to be great but just give me good enough you know? right in like, like um oh, sorry, go ahead no I was gonna say I mean he's he's won a Super Bowl by being just good enough and right. you know if he can be good enough and have the defense be as good as it's been the last couple of years then yeah i feel like this is a team that is at least a playoff team it sucks about what happened to Tariq cohen though that really does suck i i'm interested to see how they handle the backfield i would assume they if if you know it, i don't know if they've officially confirmed it but i mean it was pretty obvious it looked like an acl tear and then them saying immediately after yeah it's probably an acl isn't great so 
I'm interested to see what they do with the backfield now because I know they've, they've been using Cordero Patterson back there a little bit, but as quick as he is, he's not like a change of pace guy. He's just a, a big dude that runs fast. Um, right. Yeah. And I like I love Dave Montgomery, but yeah, I feel like at this point, David Montgomery should be your regular back, and you you can use uh, Cordell Patterson just to kind of like mix in and do different stuff. I, I think that's a really good way to use him is to not necessarily trick plays, but just like different plays. You know, you can use him in like the jet sweep and all that. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like you can use him out of the backfield, but he's not going to be like a regular down back. And I wouldn't even, yeah, like you said, I wouldn't describe him as necessarily a change of pace back, just a, a change of style back. So yeah. like, I feel like there needs to be at least one other guy. So I don't know if there's anybody you can sign him. I know somebody put out a list of, running backs that are out there as free agents that I thought, you know, Ooh, like three years ago, Ryan was like, Ooh, these guys are good. But yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, the, uh, Lamar Miller may not be good anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. When I, I, when I yeah. see, when I see those lists of names, I'm like, you know, the fact that I, you know, only played, paid some attention to football for a few years makes me think that uh, they probably are no good at this point, especially the way one running backs kind of die at the end of their careers. Right. So, yeah. yeah, that that's that's unfortunate that it seems like there's there's nothing they could do, but there's still the trade deadline, right? Like I know that mm-hmm. NFL is notorious for not doing a lot of trades at the deadline, but the, if the Bears really need somebody, they they should probably just go out and get like a third running back. Yeah, especially I mean, if you if you win next week and you're four and zero, like I think you got to start looking at your team and say, okay, yeah, we we've definitely not played very good, and we're probably not as good as a four and zero undefeated team, but should be. But um, we're four and zero. I guess uh, that that's going to put us in a good spot going forward. So yeah, I would assume they would address that. I don't know if I don't think there's anyone on their practice squad that really entices them. I know like Ryan Nall is a guy that's like been on this team as like a special team dude who will like come in if a running back is hurt typically. Um, but I like Dave Montgomery a lot. He obviously, he went to Iowa state. I, an Iowa state alum. I love Dave Montgomery. He led the nation like three years in a row and yards after contact. He's a really good pass catcher. I think he's an all purpose back that um, the bears just were trying to utilize him and Tariq Cohen at the same time. So I think you're going to see a lot of good things from Dave. I'm, I'm excited about him. Um, yeah. But uh, one thing I, I liked, uh, I was reading through some of the articles after obviously the Bears' big win, and um, it felt like Nick Foles. Like, I, I could feel it in the pocket a little bit, too, just obviously a lot more calm. He was checking out of plays a lot more comfortably than Mitch does. Um, but uh, one thing I, I thought was interesting, he was talking about on that that touchdown throw to Anthony Miller. He was saying he recognized on the play that they're likely going to throw some type of blitz, cover zero blitz on him, so it'd be single coverage. So he told Anthony Miller, hey, if they blitz on this play – I'm going to try and go to you, but I'm going to throw the ball to the L in the ATL in the end zone. So run your route towards that L and just look for it. Cause he said, I might not be able to, to watch and get it to you in time to, to, you know, time it up all right. So he just told Anthony Miller to run towards the, the L on that route. And it was a perfect ball. And it was just little things like that. I think just help those young receivers. Cause like obviously Ellen Robinson is super established, but like everyone else receiver wise for the bears, like you've got Cordero Patterson and Ted Ginn, but the rest of these guys are young. They're not really like they've like J- Javon Wims has been on this team for like three years, but like he's only realistically contributed. It contributed maybe like eight or nine games over those three years, really. Um, right. You know, Calvin Ridley's brother, Riley Ridley, a talented guy. Like they're all super young. So having a guy like Foles just telling them, Hey, like make this adjustment here in this route, 
is such a massive upgrade from Mitch, who was like, hey, man, I'm just going to chuck it. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what do you think about that, huh? Could you maybe just catch it for me, please? Like, I, I'm, I'm so scared back here. <laughs> right. Like, when you talk about Foles saying, like, whatever he said, they, he saw they were in cover zero or whatever it was. Mm. And, like, does Mitch even know how to read a defense? Right. Like that's like in you talk about like Nagy, you could tell like immediately, like he said, he basically just gave Nagy just gave his play call sheet to Nick Foles to like look over. Like it was like cliff notes for a football game, looked over it for a little bit. And he's like, yeah, I'll probably, it's like, if I see something, I'll, I, I'll probably check it out of it and stuff. And Nagy's like, yeah, that's great. <laughs> like, yeah, if you want to do that, that sounds awesome. It's just like, yeah. did Mitch never do that? Is that nothing that ever happened? Like, why is this like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, isn't that the quarterback's job? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Mitch had so many of the same problems that Jay Cutler had too, like staring down receivers. Um, like, yeah. That that was always a problem with him. So, like, and, and what you talked about too, it was like he maybe, maybe he would make a completion 10 yards down the field, but it, a guy like Foles might be able to hit you in stride and let you get you know 10 more yards after catch right uh, whereas like if if uh if trubisky's gonna hit Allen robinson or uh, anthony miller 10 yards down the field that dude's probably like leaping eight feet in the air and putting his arms up to catch that ball and yeah or like, you know diving to catch it rather than being hit in stride and being able to run with it so like yeah it just it, it sucks that it didn't work out with mitch the writing's been on the wall for a long time that the Bears screwed up that draft real bad. Yeah. Uh, and it and it's kind of amazing that they've been as good as they have the last three years, uh, considering all of these factors. I mean, that's that's like, you know, what happened to the Chargers after they, you know, after they drafted Ryan Leaf, right? Yeah. Or uh, you know, getting Phillip Rivers instead of Eli Manning. Or even like, just like the Jets taking Mark Sanchez, like they're still looking for a quarterback. Like Josh, or what is it? Uh, yeah, is it Sam Darnold? They're not even sure if that's the guy. The Jets look awful. So, but right, yeah. So like that, those are the kinds of mistakes that completely doom your franchise forever. And yet the Bears are still good. At the at the same time, it's kind of like, man, if they had just drafted Mahomes or even oh. Watson instead of Mitch, like this team's probably got a Super Bowl already. But, yeah, a hundred percent. I yeah. it, it's so frustrating, especially like when the C, the the NFL season opened up this year against the Texans and Chiefs. It's like, oh great, yep, the two guys who are significantly better than our quarterback, who apparently just barely beat out Nick Foles by sucking slightly less. And like, it's just <laughs> it, it just very stereotypical Bears. I don't know. The one thing I will say, at least, like Jay Cutler, like I mean, as stupid as like a quarterback he could be at times and the plays he could make were ridiculous. Like at least when he made a bad throw, like, you know, he's like athletic enough to like where there are times where he'll fit that ball through the zone. Like he shouldn't throw it, but it works like a lot more than it probably should for most quarterbacks. That's never, ever, ever worked for Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> like he's yeah. never been an improvising, just like gunslinger, like Jay Cutler could be at times. Like there were just moments where Jay Cutler would like literally rip a ball through like the Seattle Seahawks, like Legion of boom defense to Brandon Marshall, who would then scamper off for like 17 yards. And you just like, look at the play and we're like, what the, what, like, what did, what did he see on this throw? I don't know how that happened, but then you like see what Mitch does. And it's, it's a totally separate thing. It's obviously, obviously two totally different guys, but 
when it comes down to it, I think Chicago Bears fans are tired of seeing quarterbacks who can't seem to think instead of just throw. Yeah, and I mean, there were a couple throws that Mitch made that I, I was talking to Luis Medina, who runs um, yeah, the uh, Bleacher Nation Ble- Bears. Bleacher Nation Bears. He's he's a really good friend of mine. We we text a lot during Bears games, and he was saying like there was one throw specifically that Mitch made, and I can't remember to who it was, but he threw it downfield, and uh, whoever the receiver was, I think it was Anthony Miller, got separation. And yeah, in the second he, quarter. He was, he was pretty mm-hmm. wide open and Mitch overthrew him by like five or six feet. And it was like, how many times in our lives have we seen a bears quarterback make that exact same throw where they, you know, the guy right. makes separation, he gets away deep and the quarterback just overthrows him and just can't get it there. Yeah. I've, uh, like uh, at least with Mitch in the last couple of years, it feels like it was at least once or twice a game. He would miss uh, like a, like, you know, Coaches would say, if you caught that ball, it's a touchdown sort of play. Um, yeah. But even, yeah, Jay Cutler, I can think of Kyle Orton missing guys, which didn't happen a lot, but uh, <laughs> he would overthrow yeah. a guy occasionally. It happens. Or- but Orton is very Foles-like, I think. Um, yes. In that he, he operated better by, you know, working shorter field throws. But, yeah, I just don't uh, – I don't remember in my life ever feeling confident in a Bears quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's just it, I, another thing Luis and I talked about, like you should be able to throw darts at a board at draft time and hit, you know, at least on one quarterback in 30 years, but they haven't been able to do it. Yeah. They, they really haven't, man. And, and they've obviously taken shots, but yeah, I, I remember, I still remember draft night, 2017 when the bears traded up to take Mitch, I was watching NFL draft and I thought when they traded up, I thought they were either taking Solomon Thomas, um, who was like an edge defender from mm-hmm. Stanford, or I thought they were trading up for Deshaun Watson. So I remember telling my mom, cause she was like watching with me. I was like, Oh, the bears just drafted up or traded up. I think they're going to take the Clemson quarterback. And then I heard them say like quarterback or like whatever. It was like Mitchell Trubisky, North Carolina quarterback, whatever. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even know the Bears liked Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> Honestly, and at the time, I really didn't follow as closely. I followed the Bears really closely for most of my life. And then towards the end of the Cutler era, I just lost interest. Uh, it just was wearing on me. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't following as close, but I knew Watson and I knew Mahomes. And when I heard that they traded up to take Trubisky, I was like, why? Who is this guy? Right. And then, I, and then I read and found out more about him. And then I thought, why (laughs) yeah i i don't understand i i I don't i still to this day don't get what they saw in him you would have thought like the big thing when he came out was that he only started was like 12 or 16 college games or something like that over two seasons um couldn't even like really win out as a starter as his junior year but the bears liked his mechanics and thought he'd come into his own and so like you know i was like okay well i mean at that time i thought pace was a pretty good gm but um, you know, previous first round draft, you know, we're at draft first round draft pick bus number two, I guess you could say with Floyd. And now I guess Trubisky, mm-hmm. like, that's, that's bad, especially for a team that traded two of them to get Khalil Mack. Like you got to hit on those picks. Like you just got it. Right. Them. Yeah. If you're drafting number three, you should be able to get, yeah. In a, in a draft that has a, a couple pretty good quarterbacks, uh, you should be able to get one. Yeah. <laughs> on top of it, you shouldn't have to trade up to take, the guy that nobody else wants to take like where if the bears don't trade up for trubisky where does he go in that draft probably like eight or nine ten 
I, yeah, he probably ends up like the Chiefs probably get him, or maybe they they move away from him, and don't get him. But I would, I know for sure Texas is taking uh, Watson. They were going to find a way to get him at some point. I think if he fell below where he was, but yeah, I mean, you look at the rest of his teams. Like, I'm sure someone takes a flyer on him. Yeah, like he said, middle to late first round, probably maybe even yeah. the top ten because the quarterbacks always go earlier. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, no one, no one was dying to take him. Maybe Cleveland. If they, they had another pick coming around, they could have taken Trubisky again because they took Miles Garrett and then they had a pick at like five or six or something like that. Could have mm-hmm. taken him then Ohio kid. That would have been just awful for the Browns once again. But I you know, Baker Mayfield hasn't been necessarily fantastic either, I guess. So Yeah. Uh, Mitch is a guy that I could totally see wearing a Browns jersey next year or the year after. Like, oh yeah. Like I, I could, when I close my eyes, I can picture him wearing Browns stuff yeah and a headset with a clipboard yep (laughs) (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) yeah no i could i he seems like and you know what sucks i think the most is like you could see all the all the fans or all the all the guys on the bears at least really felt bad for mitch i think they obviously like him he's a good teammate it's not like he doesn't try hard he's just not the guy um yeah and that's a bummer but uh i don't know if you saw this. this is the last thing i want to say and then we can wrap up this super long podcast uh <laughs> i saw a lot of former bears tweeting shortly after uh mitch got benched and after the bears won like kind of like coming at Nagy a little bit for benching mitch i i mean like if nick Foles had been bad and mitch like obviously played it like he did as well i i could see why they were like yeah this is kind of stupid but Nick Foles was clearly better. Like whether you agree why Nat, Matt Nagy made the decision now or not, like this was the right decision, I thought. So I thought it was weird to see former players like Sam Acho, Earl Bennett, weirdly, uh, coming out and kind of saying like, yeah, this is a pretty – this is kind of a dick move to do towards Mitch. Yeah. Um, I, I, don't, I mean, I guess players are always going to feel for the way players are treated. And sure. This isn't uh, – I don't look at it as benched in the middle of the third game of a, of the season like those players might. I look at it, at it as this is his fourth year in the NFL and he has failed to become anything better than a slightly below average quarterback. I know he's he had good numbers to start the year, but those were heavily based on, you know, just a couple quarters where he was fairly good. Mm-hmm. So this isn't benching him in the middle of the third game. This is benching him after giving him every opportunity for the majority of, you know, three seasons prior. And then the beginning of this year, which, you know, you mentioned earlier that they said, you know, Mitch won out against Foles uh, in the preseason, I guess not the preseason, but training camp for uh, the starting job. But I don't think after watching what I saw yesterday, I don't necessarily believe that he was better than Foles. I think that when Foles came in, the Bears probably told him, we're going to give Mitch every chance to be good. Um, and if he can't do it, then we're going to go to you. And I, th- I think Foles probably knew that eventually they were going to end up going to him. So I don't, I don't see it as, you know, the way certain players might feel about it. I think it's just, you know, Mitch failed to consistently be good, even in those first two and a half games. Uh, it did surprise me, though. I'll say this. It, if they weren't going to bench him in the middle of that first game when he was just awful leading up to the, yeah. the comeback against the Lions, I thought they're just going to roll with him until in, until they lose a game, right? 
So maybe yeah. that's what it was. Maybe they just expected they were going to lose. So they <laughs> and then they, and then they thought, and then Nagy thought, okay, so we're still going to lose this game and maybe Foles like does something. But when we lose, I can still run Mitch back out there for week four. And then sure enough, Foles just like takes him down the field a couple times that, that throw to Miller for the touchdown, the, the, degree of difficulty for Nick Foles and where he hit them hit Miller on that catch that may be one of the top five throws a Bears quarterback has ever made in my entire life yeah that was a throw man I like when like the only thing I was complaining about when they did that was like man they scored way too much time again but uh (laughs) that was the only thing because everything else like absolutely perfect and you knew as soon as you saw Miller come into the screen I was like oh he just threw a touchdown like before he's even caught it like that's a touchdown um and i uh that's a that's a feeling that's uh that's not very common on the chicago bear fan you know board of things that happen he he was some dude was about to kill nick Foles, and he just winged it yeah (laughs) and and yeah miller was right there i mean it was just a great throw yeah and it's uh it's those little things that they talk about with you know Foles just telling Miller how to run this route a little bit differently. It's just like he obviously understands the playbook better than Mitch. There was never an issue. I I agree with you. I think there had to have been some type of conversation because obviously Nagy felt incredibly comfortable with him if he's letting him kill plays and do all that while only playing with this team for a few months. Obviously before all this, like yeah. he's obviously got a great understanding of the offense. There obviously right. had to have been some type of conversation where it's like hey. If you know, you're going to get a shot likely at some point this year, just be ready. You know? Yeah. So. yeah and, and the last thing I'll say on it is Nick Foles isn't in his prime Tom Brady or, or Peyton Manning. I know everyone knows that about him, but at least we know what he is when he's healthy. And yeah. like I said, like I said before, what he is when he's healthy is good enough to win a freaking Super Bowl if you have a good enough defense behind him. Like he's not going to kill you like Mitch might. Yeah, and that's that's really the big difference we've we've seen here. It's it's when the Bears start creating tur- or making turnovers or, or their offense is inept because Mitch can't make a throw or all of a sudden they have to lean incredibly heavily on the run and they they can't get the play action to work because no one bites on that. So like it, it's it's all these little things that I think people have just kind of figured out about the Bears the last couple of years with the Trubisky run offense. Now with Foles in the mix, I think you get to see a naggy offense a little bit and you get to see maybe the Bears playmakers be more dynamic and that's kind of what we've been missing this whole time no no big plays the inability to like really kind of create something in space it feels like the Bears are just way too like I don't know if it's the way like even just like Foles had that one little like quick little drop screen play to Tariq Cohen he just like mm. saw the blitz coming. He immediately threw it to Tariq, who had a block lined up perfectly. He runs up the field for 17 yards. I've never seen Mitch hit Tariq Cohen on that play correctly. It's always behind him, right. always over his head, and Tariq's then got to catch the ball, make sure he doesn't fumble it, turn around. He's got three defenders in front of him because the blockers were trying to catch a fumble. Like, those little things don't happen with the Foles, and now you get to see the Bears' offense execute correctly, which I just don't think they've done because what we saw against Atlanta, even bad defense, was a lot better than what we've seen – you know all of last year yeah and uh yeah i saw someone joke that um like you said he had him go to the l in atlanta and there's been a lot of teams given atlanta l's yeah (laughs) yeah this is this is the third game in a row or i guess they've blown all three games i think right all they've had a lead in each one so far 
Yeah. From what I understand. They're they're very familiar with blowing late leads. All right, that will do it here for today's episode of Lockdown Cubs. Make sure you're subscribed to Lockdown Cubs and whatever podcast app you use, Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn app, wherever you're listening to your podcasts, make sure you subscribe, leave a five-star review. Make sure you're following Lockdown Cubs on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Q. Davis. I wrote an article this week on the postseason teams, ranking them for fan-sided, all 16 teams. I did do a little bit of uh, power rankings for you guys there, and then as well as touched on a couple things about how this postseason format works because it is a little weird so if you're got questions about that you can head over to my twitter i've got the uh, both articles retweeted you can check that out there appreciate the clicks as always but you guys enjoy the rest of your day we'll be back tomorrow to touch on a couple updates here before this series kicks off on wednesday would that you guys enjoy the rest of your day and as always go cubs